Good evening and welcome to episode 15 of the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and with me as always is Jason and Joe. How are you doing, guys? Doing well. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm pretty good. It was uh, it was an interesting end of the week with the trade deadline. Interesting. Uh, doesn't quite cover it enough, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, cautiously optimistic and waiting to see what happens here. Right. I feel like I'm playing a game of Guess Who when I watch my couch right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a good way of putting it, actually. I, I don't think we've ever seen this crazy of a trade deadline. Just how many trades and the blockbusters that were made the day of, even as time was expiring, it was just crazy to watch. We couldn't keep up with it. Yeah, that's why I stopped updating the Facebook page. There was so much going on. Plus, I was in the airport for a chunk of that, too. And uh, Nashville, it's a nice airport. It does not have great Wi-Fi. So uh, I was like, you know what? We're just going to punt this, and we're going to cover it on Monday because that's just a lot easier. Yeah, just couldn't seem to refresh Twitter or Facebook fast enough to know what the heck was happening. So no one with all the deal counter deal recounter deal. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh and Philly had a deal, and then the deal fell apart. I I know they weren't the only one. I think that ha- uh, was one of the West Coast teams. Anyway, I know that wasn't the first time that happened, and you know, everybody's they're up they're upping the prospect package and then upping it again and then upping it again because the available player pool was not huge this year. Yeah, and I think uh, I believe it was the Padres that had a deal fall through. I believe they were looking at potentially getting Kimball or Scherzer, one of the pitchers, and it just fell through. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I do remember it being the Padres. All right, so what are you guys drinking tonight? I am drinking a Mike's uh, Mike's Hard Strawberry Lemonade. Um, a, a, to quote Will Farrell and Anthony Rizzo again, I am in a glass case of emotion trying to figure out what's next, so I need something a little hard and crisp and refreshing. Sounds good. How about you, Jason? Yeah, this week I took a, a change of pace from the regular beer and went with a cider this week by Bold Rock. It's a good uh, crisp apple cider. Nice. Good choice. So I've got two this week because I didn't have uh, two of the same kind left in the fridge. So one of them is a Strawberry Sky and the other one is a Mountain Beach. They're both from uh, Beckenridge Brewery, which is out in uh, Colorado. Very, uh, the Mountain Beach is like a tart, and the Strawberry Sky is pretty similar to the Lancaster Brewing Company Strawberry Wheat. So, very tasty. All right, so let's get this started, guys. So, Atlanta had a long week. They played eight games in seven days. They started strong. They took three of five from the Mets. Uh, games one and two in the series, they were a doubleheader. That was a split by both teams. Uh, so, game one went to the Braves. They won it two to nothing. Kyle Mueller won his, rookie Kyle Mueller won his second game of the season. Uh, five scoreless innings, four hits, two walks, three strikeouts. Only two Mets hitters advanced to second base while he was pitching. Um, Mueller also came through with a bat. He had a hit off Stroman, which pushed Heredia up to third, and then uh, Jock Peterson doubled him home. Freddie had two hits in the day. Heredia had two hits. Uh, the Braves' defense turned two DPs, which, you know, that's really good in a regular game, but when you're in a seven-inning game and you knock, you knock two innings out like that, always good. Will Smith got his 20th save of the year. In the second game of the doubleheader, the Mets won that one one nothing. It was a pitcher's duel. Unfortunately, didn't go our way. Uh, Mets second baseman Jeff McNeil had an RBI double off Luke Jackson, which gave the Mets the only run of the game. Uh, they went with a bullpen game, which is a, actually a pretty interesting strategy. If you're going to run a bullpen game, do it the seven-inning game so you don't burn as many arms. It's a good thought. Uh, it worked very well. We got a total of four hits and struck out ten times and only walked once. So the Mets pitching kicked Atlanta's butt in that game. 
Uh, Diaz had his 22nd save of the season for the Mets. Austin Riley did have two hits, but he also hit a, a double play as well. So, baseball giveth, baseball taketh. Game three went back Atlanta's way. They routed the Mets 12-5. to Charlie Morton won his 10th game of the season. He went five innings, five hits, three earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, did give up a home run. Uh, the Braves did most of their damage off of Eikhoff. He only went three and a third. He gave up seven hits, ten earned runs, which I believe was a season high. Five walks, four strikeouts, three home runs allowed. Austin Riley had a monster game, two for five. He had a grand slam and a two-run homer, so that was six RBIs in one game. Monty and Albies also hit home runs. And uh, every Atlanta home run in that game, guys, was a multi-run home run. You don't see that too often. This is Riley's third multi-home run game of the season. And every starter, including Morton, except for catcher Stephen Vogt, had at least one hit. Go figure. If one guy's not going to get it, you usually expect it to be the pitcher, not the catcher. But, hey, I was happy with the result of that game regardless. Game four, uh, Max Freed pitched really well. But just like what happened with Wheeler, he, you know, just lost a close decision. He went seven innings, gave up five hits, two earned runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. Unfortunately, in the seventh inning, it was a pinch hit home run to Drury. That put the Mets ahead for good. Riley hit yet another home run off of McGill in the sixth. That was his 20th of the season. And uh, Conforto made a tremendous throw in a one-hop single from Adrianza that caught Almonte trying to score from second, which would have made a big difference, unfortunately. Um, Diaz got his 23rd save of the season. And then in Game 5, the Braves took the Mets down 6-3 to three to take the series 3-2. to two. Mets starter Taewon Walker has had a really rough second half. Um, he only lasted five innings in this one, gave up six hits, five earned runs. He walked two. He did strike out seven, but he gave up two home runs. Uh, in the last three starts for Taewon Walker, he's 0-2 with a 1543 ERA. Austin Riley's big series continued. He had another two-run homer off of Walker in the fourth. Uh, Riley's line for the series was 421-450, eight hits, four home runs, four runs scored, and 10 RBIs. Um, Pete Alonso did uh, do a little bit of damage in this game despite the loss. He had a monstrous two-run 453-foot homer off Smiley in the fifth, which that's what chased him out of the game. Um, since the home run derby, because, you know, they normally say the home run derby is going to screw up your swing, uh, Alonso's hitting 321, six home runs, and 13 RBIs. I think he's doing okay. And then uh, Will Smith picked up his 21st save. A fun little note I had from that series, uh, Austin Riley is turning into a new nemesis for the Mets. You know, the NL East has a couple guys that really like to beat up on the Mets. Riley has now had eight home runs in 19 games at City Field. JT Real Muto has had six home runs in 51 games. Jason Worth had five and 70, and Trey Turner had five and 39. Now, He's nowhere near the legendary Mets killer status that Chipper Jones obtained. You know, he had uh, 19 home runs in 88 games in Shea and three homers in 22 games in City. But, you know, he's only in his first full season and I, I guess you could say second overall because it's two half seasons behind that. So, you know, not too bad for a start of a career, huh? Yeah, he's looking really good. And you talk about Mets killers and older Mets killers. I also thought of Pat Burrell as I was looking at that because... He was notoriously destructive to the Mets, and I, I remember there were times when he was struggling near the end of his career in Philadelphia, and they said, you know, what's, how are you going to get out of this? And he goes, when's the next time we play the Mets? And sure enough, broke out of it, hit the uh, walk-off home runs against, uh, I believe it was Billy Wagner at the time, but yeah, so... Riley is looking really good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot Burl. Yeah, you're right. Burl was a big Mets killer too, and he did. Now, granted, he did his damage at the uh, old park. He didn't do it at City, but right. You know, again, that's where Chipper did most of his damage. I mean, he named one of his sons Shea, for heaven's sakes. That's that's a nice way to say, hey, by the way, do you remember how I killed you guys all the time? Yeah, here you go. <laughs> Imagine if he comes up and plays third base for Atlanta in 20 years too, and hits as well as his pop. <laughs> Here's to dreaming. All right, so the week didn't end so well as they dropped two or three with the Brewers. In game one, uh, Atlanta started really strong. They had a four-run first inning. I was going crazy in the group chat, and then uh, the uh, wheels fell off the track as we lost that one 9-5. Uh, Brewers all-star starter Corbin Burns had his worst outing of the season so far. He only went four innings, gave up nine hits, five earned runs, two walks, six strikeouts, and a homer. Uh, unfortunately, Tukey Tucson, after his last two really good starts, kind of came back down to earth. He went three and a third, six hits, seven earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, two home runs. Uh, and he also hit a guy. His location wasn't there that night. Um, Austin Riley hit another home run, a two-run shot off Burns in the first, which is only his fourth home run he's allowed all season. So props there to Riley. Actually, Riley hit one off of DeGrom, too. So he's hit home runs off two of the pitchers that are have been the hardest to hit home runs off of the season. So bravo, Austin Riley. Uh, newly acquired Eduardo Escobar of the Brewers had a home run in the ninth along with Adamas and Garcia earlier in the game. And in that game, all the Brewers positions players had at least one hit. So, you know, Atlanta's pitching just didn't hold up in that one. Uh, game two, Atlanta's bats woke up. It was an easy 8-1 to one win. Dansby Swanson provided the power. He went 3-4. for four. He had a grand slam and a two-run home run and had seven RBIs in the day. Um, starter Kyle Mueller pitched really well. He went five innings, four hits, allowed an earned run, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Unfortunately, the bats came on a little bit too late, so it was no decision for him. Uh, Brewer starter Brandon Woodruff went five and two-thirds, eight hits, three earned runs, a walk, six strikeouts, and a home run allowed. Uh, newly acquired for the Braves outfielder Jorge Soler from the Royals. He had a really good game. He went three for four. He had an RBI and a run scored. And uh, Albies and Peterson also had doubles in that one as well. And then game three, Atlanta dropped a close one. It was a two-to-one loss, so they wasted a really good start from Charlie Morton. He went six innings. He only gave up three hits, two earned runs, didn't walk anybody, struck out six. Um, Brewer starter Brett Anderson also pitched well. He went five and two-thirds, three hits, an earned run, a walk, and three strikeouts. I, I think this was probably one of the most frustrating losses for Atlanta because their pitching staff held finally held a good hitting team, and then their offense just fell asleep and didn't do anything. They held the Brewers to three hits, and they actually picked up seven of their own, but they couldn't do anything. They didn't advance runners. They couldn't play small ball and pull out the win. Uh, Josh Hader picked up his 22nd save for the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers guys are insane on the road this year. They have a 34-19 road record, and they've won 13 out of 17 road series this season. Uh, since the All-Star break, Atlanta, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, they literally every other game they're alternating, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. There have been mm-hmm. no streaks since the All-Star game. So, uh, yeah, that was you know, that. Was that. Uh, what do you guys think of the two series? Uh, for me, it was... The, the Braves played eight games in seven days. That is an incredible amount of playing time. And I think the fact that they got out of that four and four, especially against good teams like the Mets and the Brewers, two division leaders currently, getting out of there 4-4 four and four is about what you want to do in that situation. It was tough for them to drop those two games to the Brewers, especially after taking three out of five from the Mets. 
I think that's where you probably saw some of the fatigue come in. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, four out of four is good. A little bit of a disappointment, uh, kind of a drop off after taking three out of five. At least they're off tonight so they can rest. <laughs> yeah, and I think I saw with Morton, I think that was his first, like, not great start in about a month and a half or two months. Uh, the Mets start, yeah, that was his first. No, the the, the Brewers one, I thought. Oh, the Brewers start. Uh, I, the, Brewers the first start one that he lost. Yeah, that was his while. first loss decision. That's right. right the Mets, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, the Mets start wasn't his best stuff, but he still pulled out the win because the offense was there. Right. Um, I picked up a fun stat that I thought you guys would find interesting. Since 2018, Atlanta scored 10 plus runs nine times against both the Phillies and the Mets. I knew the Mets, and then I looked it up. I was surprised the Phillies had they had dropped so many on. But then I thought about uh, 2019, especially after the first couple weeks of the season when they got hot. And I think didn't we didn't we drop like 14 on the Fourth of July in 2019 or something crazy like that? Something like that. I mean, I also kind of I'm not surprised by that stat just because I look at the pitching staff the Phillies have had over the last few years, yeah. and and it's not really much of a surprise. So no, it's really not. Very top-heavy. A couple injury updates. Waskar, you know, threw a sim game at the minor league complex. He's going to start a rehab assignment uh, tomorrow, actually. Darno started a rehab assignment. Triple A went on Friday. Uh, Atlanta wants him to be able to catch two consecutive days, nine-plus innings before they bring him back, but hopefully we'll be getting Darno back soon, and that's going to be a huge shot of boost into that offense. So, well, we'll see what happens. Joe, what about the Cubs? A tough week for the Cubs. They lost three out of four to the Reds, and then in the weekend they lost two out of three to the Nationals. Uh, attribute the weekend to uh, being the no look, the new look team, and figuring out kind of who's going to be contributing there. But uh, well, the Reds series, left. <laughs> well, right. I mean, of the of the crew, the the core nucleus of that 2016 team, five people are currently still with the organization, and Ross is the manager. So um, Hendricks, Arietta. Hayward and Willie are the only ones left Oof. on on the field, and that's with Arietta coming back after a stint with the Phillies. So. Right. Yeah. So they're the only ones left of that core group. Uh, but game one of, of this Mets series, kind of giving or the Red series, I'm sorry, giving you some of that, you know, those last last flare games you're going to see from Javi or or KB or or Rizzo. Um, you know that game. For me, Hendricks was went four and a third, gave up nine hits, five runs, two walks, four strikeouts, and two home runs. He, neither starter in most of this week for the Cubs was really effective at all. Yeah. Um, you know, two home runs in this game for Hendricks, which is about his average. Uh, Wilson went zero for five, I think, in game one, and had three strikeouts. So. It's just not going to get it done, and you know, to, to be in that close of a game, you went four of thirteen in with runners in scoring position, and the Reds went one and thirteen with runners in scoring position. Um, defensively, there were a lot of big plays in that game to kind of keep that game close. Uh, Patrick Wisdom and David Bodie uh, combined for a, th- a throw out from left field to get a guy uh, get Winker at second, I think it was. Um, so you know, it's it's kind of and then Javi's drama in the ninth inning with uh, Amir Garrett. Um, those two uh, do not like each other, to put it mildly. Um, you know, and and Amir Garrett comes in to pitch to Javi, and all Javi needs to do is hit hit it over the center fielder's head. He almost hits it out. 
Uh, he literally, I think, I think it took him like 13 or 15 seconds to get the first base. Uh, you know, he spent half that time walking, looking at Garrett, taunting him, you know, waving his bat and then throwing his bat in his direction. You know, you know he, on his way to first base. He's so. lucky the center fielder wasn't paying attention because they could have pegged him at first with all that showboating. Mm-hmm. And oh, then they would have ridiculous. ended up losing in the game. It, it was just ridiculous. And, and I mean, that's Javi being Javi. You get that with him. But it's just like, you know, it's just not. Well, and Garrett's got a short fuse to start with. Right. And so I think I said that Monday night. I was like, okay, Javi's going to get hit at some point the rest of this series, whether it's Tuesday night or, or you know, uh, by Thursday, he was going to get hit. I don't think he did. It's a miracle. Um, in that game also, Rizzo and Contreras hit home runs. Votto had a homer for the Reds, and that's just the beginning of his week. We'll get into this. Uh, so that's game one. Game two, Votto is on fire. He had three home, he had two homers in this series. Or in that game. Sorry, in game two. Um, and he had you know a homer in four straight games up to that point. Um so Vado was just on fire here the last week. Bullpen was ineffective. Azale was ineffective. Azale, since he went out with a blister, has you know just been ineffective. It's just terrible. Five innings pitched, seven hits, four runs, and three home runs. You're sensing a theme here. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I had a lot of good things to say about Azale earlier in the season about how he was learning a, a better warm up routine from Arietta. I wish he would just not learn anything else from Arietta, um, <laughs> because he's just been dreadful um, since he went out. Uh, Rizzo, Brian, Wisdom went deep for the Cubs in Game Two. Uh, again, Azalei gave up three home runs. He's leading the National League with 23 long balls allowed. 19 of those 23, as we've mentioned before, were to lefties. So um, that's that's the big thing there. Game Three, Votto hits two more home runs. Uh, he's the ninth player in Reds history to homer in five straight games. He is the third Red with seven homers in five games. The only other two are Jay Bruce and Johnny Bench. So that's pretty good company. That's damn good company. Um, you know, it just Davies looked terrible, and I think this had a lot to do with the rest of the week and how he's still on the Cubs at this point because he's just the last few starts just not been good. Uh, four runs in six innings. Uh, Mail for the Reds through six scoreless innings for for them. Game four, Votto continues. He set a franchise record as a home run in a sixth straight game. Uh, Cubs briefly had a 3-2 lead, but Mills went gave up nine hits in six innings, four runs, three earned runs, and a home run. You know, so I think that really uh, just the, the bad pitching in in, in bad situations. Um, was kind of an issue there. Um, the big thing about the Thursday game with the Reds is Rizzo and KB were not in the lineup, which led you to go, okay, they're going to be traded during the game, right? Well, they weren't. And so now Rizzo gets traded that night. KB gets traded on Friday, obviously. But some some people raised some stink as to, like, well, you didn't give them a chance to put them in for an inning or two and then pull them out and get a standing ovation in front of the crowd there, but uh, they've had plenty of opportunities to impress and not be traded, so I, I'm kind of on the fence about that. I don't know what you guys think, if they should have gotten them in there for that. or Where was that series? In Chicago. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel as though with, with it being in Chicago, I thought it would have been a good opportunity for them to kind of get one last hurrah 
and a good send-off. If it was in Cincinnati, I wouldn't think anything of it. But with it being in Chicago, I, I think there is a little bit of mismanagement there. Yeah, I agree. I would have brought him out at least for the 8th or ninth, just to have that token appearance. But, you know, David Ross, that doesn't really seem to be something he'd be thinking of just based on how he's managed games so far this season. So. Yeah, and you would think, I mean, the, the closeness he had with those guys, he would, have, he would have thought of that. But like you said, his management has been pretty bad this year. And, you know, maybe maybe the two of them asked not to have that done. You know, we don't know if that was maybe a personal request by the players. Who knows? Yeah, so that was a, sort of the, the drama of the Red Series, kind of wondering what pieces were going to fall there. Um, and then they go into the weekend series in D.C., and Arietta comes in in game one because Williams got traded to the Mets uh, with Javi Baez. So Arietta comes off the IL, lost. He only allowed two runs in four innings. Um, seven hits, one home run, three strikeouts. So it wasn't an awful start for him, but the offense just wasn't there. You know, Wisdom had two RBIs, but that's your only really calling card in game one. Two for seven with runners in scoring position. Yeah, especially with your new look offense, that's just not going to get it done. You can't count on a late game home run or yeah, you don't have to do big bats now, yeah. right? So game two, Hendricks wins his thirteenth game of the season, leading the majors right now. It's his eleventh straight winning decision. I think the earlier in the week um, or last week, earlier in the week was a no decision. Mm-hmm. So Correct. his eleventh straight decision that was a win. Uh, Ortega in this game went two for five, a homer. Two runs, two RBIs, and a stolen base. Hayward had his first RBI in 46 at-bats. That's He's just not produced in the last year or two. It's really kind of been disappointing. He hasn't really produced since his last couple of years in Atlanta, if we're being completely honest. He's, he's really fallen off. I mean, his defense has always been spectacular, and I know that's what... Um, you know, that's what the Cubs said when they signed that big deal. You know, they were signing because he's such a good defender, such a pos- such a plus arm, you know, such good range. But at some point, it, I'm all about good defense, but that's a lot of money to pay just for outfield defense. Right, and I don't know that his defense has been as solid here the last year, so I think that's where the, the falling out is, I think, for a couple years there. Yeah, he was okay on offense, but he was spectacular in the field. Now mm-hmm. his his fielding is a little bit down, and I think that's just the well, whole he, piece is falling apart. The arm's still there. The speed's just not there anymore like it used to be. Right. Uh, game three went to the bullpens. Cubs tied this game 5-5 five to five in the eighth. Uh, uh, but before we get to Ortega and his monster day, Azalea went five innings, seven hits, four runs, and four strikeouts. He didn't give up a home run in Game 3, which is the only reason this was close. Or maybe he gave up... It was either him or the bullpen who gave up that home run to Yadiel earlier in the game. But uh, Rafael Ortega, um, you know, three home runs in one game. Two of them were two RBI homers, and one was a solo shot. And you can't say enough about it. He went 4-4 four for four yesterday, and they still lost the game. Um. Yeah, Yadiel's homers, the walk-off and the other one were both solo shots. And all five RBIs were Ortega's to claim. So it's, you know, right now the, the feeling coming out of the weekend is this is David Bodie, Wisdom, 
Wilson and Ortega's team now, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, Wilson's kind of kind of the boss here. I think what's really nice to see is where Wisdom ends up playing more regularly. He played first base over the weekend. Some he's played some at third. He's played some outfield. So they really have a good nucleus of players that they can play in a variety of positions, and still have Bodie Wisdom and Nico and Alcantara all in the lineup at the same time. And they can give him consistent experience playing, which is huge for a young player, too. Absolutely. Um, Joe, the home run was allowed by Kyle Ryan, not by uh, Elsley. Okay. That's a good change. (laughs) Hopefully Um, a good change for the future. Right. So we'll see what happens here with with the Cubs. It was a rough week. Nationals got these two RBIs on a goofy play where they they threw it to to home, and then we'll – the Torinos threw it to second, and the guy scores from third. So it was just kind of weird. Injury-wise, Nico and uh, Dylan Maples are both on the 10-day IL. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. Uh, Nico is, is starting to become injury-prone, so that's a concern for me. Um, just come back off the hamstring strain, and now he's got you know an oblique strain. So is he becoming injury-prone now? Is there too much pressure on him? Now there shouldn't be much pressure on him because nobody expects him to do anything. So, yeah, hopefully that'll help. Yeah. All right, Jason. What about the Phillies? Yeah. So the the Phillies had an interesting week. <laughs> so they they did start out by splitting a four game series with the Nationals, and then they went on the road and did what a team in the hunt for for a division title should never ever ever do which is lose a series to the Pittsburgh Pirates. and uh, I can feel that. We did that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, ga- game one of the National Series. Joe Ross had a really good start for the uh, for the Nationals. He went five innings, gave up three hits, four strikeouts, two walks. And this was a game that the Phillies ended up winning 6-5 to five because of some heroics here. Spencer Howard started for the Phillies, went three and two-thirds innings pitch, gave up four runs on six hits, had two strikeouts, and he left with a blister. So, again, he struggles to go more than three innings. And the, the big key here basically was in the bottom of the ninth, Andrew McCutcheon had a rock-paper-scissors moment here with a walk-off three-run homer off of Brad Hand. It was an opposite field shot, which was really good to see from McCutcheon. And it was just fantastic to see. So, again, it's one of those where you're glad for the win, but it's still concerning at the same time. So, great comeback win for the Phils, especially being down early. Game two of this series, again, the, it was a 6-4 win for the Nationals. Phillies were again down behind early, down 6 nothing, just because of two three-run homers. One was by Bell and one was by Soto. Matt Moore, in what needs to be his last start, and looks like it will be his last start, with more runs. Gave up six earned runs in four innings, only three strikeouts. And Bryce Harper and... Kutch did have homers for the Phils. Harper's was actually... Oh, no, his inside the park was later on. Never mind. Um, <laughs> You're jumping ahead of yourself. I am jumping ahead of myself, so I, I was excited. I'm so excited about that inside the park homer. But anyway, 
Uh, fending for the Nationals, he did get the no decision. He went four and two-thirds innings pitch with four and runs and eight hits. Game three was a uh, doubleheader here. And actually, as I look through... You know what? I believe that inside the park Homer was actually that night because oh. that because that was because that was Bryce's only only home run of the week. So okay. it, so it wasn't game two there, but game three, game one of a doubleheader, and it was a great pitching duel. Scherzer went six innings pitch, gave up one earned run, which was to JT Real Muto. It, it wasn't anything big, and he had three strikeouts. Zach Wheeler actually pitched a complete seven-inning game and took the loss. He took the loss with by getting up three runs with five strikeouts. Hard to be upset with it because the the loss came on a two-run homer in the seventh inning to to Gomes, and it just kind of is what it is. It's one where it stinks to lose it, but good pitching matchup at the same time. Yeah, when you have two aces going head to head, I mean, you have to expect that could happen. Yeah. And then game four, which was the second game with the doubleheader, the Phillies ended up winning 11-8. Again, a comeback here. So they were down 7 nothing in a seven-inning seven game. Being down 7 nothing early in a seven-inning game, there's not a whole lot of hope. And uh, you, were, you were pretty despondent in the group chat. I, I was pretty me. much throwing in the towel. I was about to be like, hey, you know what? If you're going to lose a series, you may as well just sell instead of buy. So, uh, Josh Harrison did have a home run for the Nationals. Phillies got home runs from Hoskins, Kutch, and Bohm. Uh, Kutch and Bohm actually went back-to-back in that one. And they tied the game in the seventh inning on a JT Real Muto single to left, actually through the, through the hole at shortstop. And the really fun facts here, in the... The game went to extra innings. Bomb of the eighth. Well, first off, the Phil, the uh, Nationals did get a, a run home in the top of the eighth inning. Phillies had to use a pinch hitter, and it was Aaron Nola. So they didn't have the bats available, so they had to put Nola to the plate. And once you know it, he drew a walk. One of the best things he could have done, because... Right after this, Brad Miller with a walk-off grand slam, 425 feet to right center field. And it was one where the moment you heard it, it was gone. So it, I, I'm torn as to how I feel about that series because it, four-game series, I'm fine with a split. I would have rather take three or four, clearly. But I'm also not happy with the split at the same time because... They very, very easily could have and possibly should have been swept. So that that series just kind of has me a little odd. Like, I feel so odd about that one. And then, to make matters worse, they go into Pittsburgh and lose two out of three. Game one was a 7 nothing Pittsburgh win. Phillies had one hit, which was a bone single. And meanwhile, Crow for... The Pirates went six innings, gave up four uh, walks while also striking out four. Vince Velasquez, again, in what should hopefully be his last start. Two innings pitched, 
five earned runs, a strikeout, and a walk. Nothing really else to say about that one. Um, Nothing really stood out as far as stats were concerned. Uh, Game two was a 3-2 Pittsburgh win. Aaron Nola pitched really well. Six innings, three hits, two earned runs, five Ks. Brubaker matched him, though. Six innings, three hits, but only gave up the one earned run and four strikeouts. It was a really good matchup. Pittsburgh did get the key hit, though, which was a walk-off RBI fielder's choice in the ninth inning by Stallings. So both teams kind of wasted their starter starts. Alvarado got the loss. And then Game 3 was kind of a really good breath of fresh air. 15-4 to Phillies. Never really in question. Phillies were tackling it on early. But the big thing here, Kyle Gibson, who they acquired on Friday uh, in a deal with the Rangers, which sent Spencer Howard and two other prospects to the Rangers, he came in. He came up huge in his first start for the Phillies. He went more than three innings. He went six and two-thirds innings, five hits, two earned runs, and five strikeouts. And it was exactly what the Phillies needed from, from the guy. They... They traded to try and improve their starting rotation. He came in and he showed them that he should be up for the task. And uh, Keller for the Pirates, he did go five innings, gave up four earned runs and two strikeouts. Ian Kennedy, who the Phillies also got in the deal with the Rangers, he did come in to pitch the ninth, gave up two runs uh, on a Perez home run in the ninth. I'm not really that concerned about it because it was a non-safe situation. We've seen House... house uh, Closers tend to just not fare well when they're in just to get work. So uh, the big stats here, uh, JT Romuto and Bryce Harper, they had the big hits. No home runs for the Phillies out of those 15 runs, but there were nine doubles, including three by Bryce Harper, who has raised his average over this last week now to a 303 average. Oh, good for him. So he, uh, I, I'm really disappointed that he had to spend so much time injured this year after you know being hit in the face and back issues because he's actually ha- he's having a really good season to the point that if you give him those starts back he may be in MVP consideration talks um, but yeah he's raised his batting average up to 303 which is really big some tough injury updates here um, the biggest one it is the Phillies had a triple-A player, uh, the Iron Pigs, their baseman, Daniel Brito. He started to go down to the ground. He was getting very wobbly in the bottom of the first inning in their game this past weekend, and he was helped down to the to lay down on the field by the opposing manager, uh, Matt Lecroy, who was in, in the third base box. He was down for about 20 minutes, received oxygen, uh, did complain that he wasn't able to feel his one side, so they took him to the hospital, and uh, it he did have surgery, and it did come out here that he, he did suffer from a stroke. Oh, goodness. So here's hoping that he has a good recovery, hoping that everything turns out well. Um, forget, uh, like, as far as, as far as any kind of baseball career goes, I don't know what's going to happen there, but most important thing is that he feels better and that he's okay. So, uh, yeah, Daniel, get better soon. Um, and then 
Zach Eflin is still dealing with some right knee ten- tendonitis. He's basically day-to-day. Sir Anthony Dominguez is starting to rehab assignment this week, so he should be making his debut uh, probably later this month, if not early September. Two injuries from this past week that happened. Uh, Reese Hoskins is currently day-to-day with a groin strain, and he suffered that on a dive for a ground ball. And to me, what hurts as well is Andrew McCutcheon uh, today was placed on the 10-day injured list. I believe it is retroactive. I just don't remember the date. Uh, With a left knee strain, I think they're mainly playing it safe just because I believe that's the knee that he had the ACL tear in. So they just want to make sure that he's good to go and doesn't risk any further injury. Plus, you know, if they catch the Mets, you're going to need him in the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, that's a bet you can't afford to lose. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Jason. Go oh, ahead. yeah, that's fine. Um, the With the trade deadline, uh, the Phillies are also making huge uh, a huge overhaul with the starting rotation. Vince Velasquez and Matt Moore are out. I am so excited. They are being sent to the pen where they can, you know, do the damage there. Um, <laughs> a few innings at a time. Hopefully fewer innings at a time here. But so, so your, your starting rotation here moving forward is Wheeler, Nola, Gibson, Chase Anderson, who just came back from the injured list. And the Phillies are actually moving Ranger Suarez from the pen to the rotation. He's actually pitching tonight. I did check in on him, and he they're starting him at three innings and working him up. He, he was a starter that they transitioned to the bullpen, kind of like a Greg Maddox type of deal. And, uh, John Smoltz. John Smoltz. And they're uh, moving him back. Uh, back to the rotation. Also like John Smoltz. Yeah. Uh, he went three innings tonight and gave up no hits. So, hard to be upset with that. And then, uh, eventually when Eflin comes in, he'll probably take the place of either Suarez or Anderson. Something that I, I, I'm thinking that may potentially happen, I'm curious to see if it does, see if this prediction happens. I think the Phillies are going to give Cole Hamels a good look and give him a shot. He apparently looked really good at his workouts. And there has been talk that the Phillies are interested in bringing him back home to Philly. So, I I think it's one of those. If you think he can help you, you'd have nothing to lose. So, just just because, look at the back end of the rotation already. So, yeah, I mean he didn't do anything for Atlanta last year for all that money. I think we got three innings out of him before he got hurt yet again. Mm-hmm. So it's always going to be a risk with Hamels, but yeah, maybe you'll get lucky and get something out of it. Yeah. So two things I. Two odd things I noted, and these are looking at the other teams from this past week. In Game 2, the Nationals actually had to pull Trey Turner out in the first inning because his COVID test from earlier in the day came back late and actually came back positive. So he had to get pulled out of the game in the first inning and never actually hit the field that day. And then in the Pittsburgh series, and you, you got a feel for the Pirates. The Pirates are now 0-8 with an opportunity to sweep a series this season. You know, Joe, you call the Cubs the lovable losers, but at least they have a couple sweeps in there, including against the Dodgers. So, well, sweeps don't matter now. No, they don't. <laughs> but at least you did it. The Pirates, I don't think, are even going to do it unless they have a long set with Arizona. Right. All right. So, looking at our other local teams, so the Orioles they split a mini series with the Marlins, and then they split a four gamer at Detroit. John Means picked up his first win since May when he because uh, of the IL stint. He went six innings. He gave up four hits and earned a run, a walk, and six strikeouts. Uh, Michael Franco did make it off the I.L. 
And he had a home run versus Detroit as well. Matt Harvey has also won three straight starts, so uh, maybe the Orioles will make a mini run and jump up to the fifth or sixth pick from the third or fourth. So the Nationals, like like we said, they split with Philly and then took two or three from the Cubs. Uh, something that came out, uh, Starling Castro was suspended 30 games by MLB without pay, along with an undisclosed fine because he violated MLB's policy on domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. Now, obviously, I don't know which one of the three it is. I think it came out that it was domestic violence. He will be ineligible for the postseason under the terms of the suspension, and he's going to be required to undergo evaluation and treatment. After this came out, shortly after, the Nationals didn't really take much time on this. They said, as soon as the suspension's complete, they're going to release him. Quote, we take all allegations of abuse and harassment very seriously, and we fully support the commissioner's decision. Uh, another another big loss for the Nationals. Uh, if they were hoping to get some help in the starting rotation, it's not going to happen. Steven Strasburg's done for the year. He had, a, uh, he had to have surgery after that neck injury he had earlier this year. So uh, no more Strasburg, and note to self, pick up a new starter in fantasy baseball. Uh, the Mets, Carlos Carrasco finally made his season debut for them against the Reds in a 6-2 loss. Joey Votto hit a home run in the seventh straight game. And then in the second game of the series, he came literally inches short of a home run in eighth and eight straight, which would have tied a major league record. So uh, tough luck for Votto there, but he that's still one heck of a streak. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, so the Mets actually, they dropped two out of three to the Reds after dropping three of five to Atlanta. So not the week the Mets were hoping for, but me and Jason were quite happy to see that. And the Yankees, uh, we I literally was listening to last week's podcast earlier today, guys. And Jason, you and I were both wondering what the heck the Yankees were going to do. Were they going to swing big? Were they going to small move? Were they going to sell a little bit? Nope, they swung for the fences. So we'll, get, we'll cover that in the next section when we hit the trade deadline. But they ended up taking two out of three from the Rays, and then they swept the Marlins. So they salvaged that 10-game road series they were on and ended up going a total of six and four. So that was a much better outcome than the Yankees predicted at the start of it. Every win in the last week, guys, was either a one- or two-run win. So it was good close game pitching. Uh, Chapman got his 22nd save of the season for them. The only loss was a 14 to nothing blowout to the race, so talk about all or nothing. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. So we're going to start the section section tonight by talking about this uh, insane trade deadline that we just passed. It was fairly quiet for a little while, and then all of a sudden it went from 0 to 100 in no time flat. We saw... Some really big names get traded. We saw a Trey Turner move. We saw Max, Max Scherzer move. Um, earlier we had seen uh, Nelson Cruz move. Uh, Ryan Tapera moved. Kimbrell moved. Frazier moved. There were so many big names moving back and forth. Um, so, guys, of the teams that last week we thought were the going to be the buyers, which teams do you think did the best? I'd say for me it was the A's, the White Sox, the Braves, and the Dodgers. I felt like the Braves got the outfield help they needed. They got some bats. Um, <coughs> I felt like you know the Dodgers getting Scherzer and Duffy. And Turner. And, right. Like, my God. <laughs> on, on the pitching front, getting Scherzer and Duffy I think was huge for them to sort of booster, you know, bolster that rotation. Uh, getting Trey Turner kind of tells you what they think about the other pieces they have there and whether they're going to be able to keep them or not, I think. 
Well, and Segura's been hurt so much this year and has barely played, so I feel like Turner's there if Segura's not going to be able to play. Seager, you mean? Uh, Seager, yeah, not Segura. Sorry, Jason, right. not trying to give you a heart attack. Never mind. <laughs> I, I figured that's who you meant. But yeah, Seager, has been, he's been hurt most of the year, if I remember right. So that's, you know, in addition to being a depth piece, once Se- if Seager's able to stay healthy, that's a really potent one through nine to run out there. Right. I also thought... The White Sox did what they needed to do. They've got two great bullpen arms and uh, and an infielder that they desperately needed with Magrigal being hurt and then Magrigal being traded as part of the Kimbrel deal. But they got two solid bullpen arms to go with. Uh, you're going to have to help me. I forget the name of the closer they had before the trade. Um, Hendricks, Liam Hendricks. Yeah. Uh, so having those three in the back end of your bullpen, I, I, I would take that. Easily every day of the week. Yeah, well, you guys, you guys got a good haul back for the Kimbrel deal. You got uh, Cody Hewer and Nick Madrigal back. So, <laughs> right. And in our in our conversation last week, I said that you know if, if Hoyer doesn't get at least one top level player or two for Kimbrel, he should be fired. And he did his job. So good job, Jed. You're not on the chopping block this week. <laughs> we'll give you a couple months. Uh, Jason, who were your winners? Yeah. So my my winners this week. I had the the Braves, the Dodgers, and I was torn here. I actually kind of I like the Yankees a, a bit here, but I'm also going to throw the Padres out into this one. Uh, the the Braves. I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about the Braves deals. So so I'll let you I'll let you have your glory with what the Braves did. But they they put themselves right back into the running here. Uh, the Dodgers. Joe kind of already talked about the the Yankees. They. We had them kind of listed as as a bubble team, but I thought that you know their trade for Rizzo and Gallo, you know, I, they really bolstered their lineup a bit. They got some some uh, some pitching in here, so I really liked what the Yankees did. And then the Padres, they they lost out on the Scherzer deal and uh, Trey Turner. But they did still get uh, all-star second baseman Adam Fraser and cash from the Pirates without giving up too much. I mean, they, they gave up uh, a few prospects here. Uh, but they also got uh, Jake Mar- uh, Marisnik from the Cubs for Anderson Espinosa, And they also got Daniel Hudson from the Nats. So the Padres, which are already one of the top teams in the league and stellar offensively, they acquired a, an all-star second baseman at the same time. So I would put them as, as another winner here. So my team winners, um, I had the Dodgers, the Braves. I also had the White Sox. I thought about it for a while. I ended up putting the Mets in the winner column. Uh, the Yankees, I actually have them both the winner and the loser column, and I'll get to that when we get to the losers. And I also had the A's, the Giants, and the Rays. I was impressed with what all of those teams did. Atlanta, I was overjoyed with what Atlanta did at the uh, at the you know at the end there because they almost decided not to pick up a pitcher, and then they managed to get Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates, and they only had to give up Bryce Wilson, who I've really soured on lately, and Ricky Devito, and I would make that trade again in a heartbeat. Uh, I had talked about Peterson and Vote earlier. They also got Jorge Soler from the Royals. They only had to give give up Casey Claych. Um, Soler, he's not having a great season. I think his average at the trade was like 198, 199. 
but his power started to come back. He's still a Golden Glove outfielder. I'm okay with the trade, especially if the power keeps going. Plus, Truist Park is a lot more hitter-friendly than Kauffman Stadium is, so I think that's going to help him as well. Um, they got Adam Duvall back because I don't know why in the hell we didn't give him the extra million or two he wanted. Just just not go to the Marlins, but anyway. Um, they did give up Alex Jackson, and I, I, I'm a little mixed on that. I don't like sending Alex Jackson to a division rival, but that said, Jackson's fallen way down our catcher depth chart. Um, Shea Langliers and uh, Contreras 2.0 are definitely going to be our catchers of the future. So I'm not as upset about that as I was, although that said I would rather not send Jackson to a division team. But anyway. And then the late trade getting Eddie Rosario from the uh, from the Indians for Pablo Sandoval, I was shocked they pulled that off. Now I know Rosario's been hurt, and who knows how much we're actually going to get out of him. But the fact that we got the Panda out of Atlanta after I've been complaining about his ineffectiveness pinch hitting, I'm completely overjoyed to see that. Um, you know, the Mets... They did what they had to do. They didn't really do much. We talked about it last week. Rich Hill's more of a depth move. He's not really a big... He's That's not going to move the needle hardly at all. And the Rays will probably turn Matt Dyer into a freaking all-star catcher, you know, because that's what the Rays always do. Um, they picked up Mark Payton from the Reds. They only gave up some cash for him. That's just a depth move. The Baez move, that was a good move, though. I, I know Javi just got hurt tonight running up to first base, but... It, how could they know that at the time? You know, that's like asking Ruben Amaro, why did you give Ryan Howard the extension? Well, I didn't know he was going to get hurt next year. You know. But still shouldn't have done it with a year left on the rookie deal. I was, I, I was say that the thing is, though, still, you know, people still said, well, you still shouldn't have given him that contract. So right. I, I'll, I'll get to the Mets in a little bit. Yeah, I... The Mets, I, I begrudgingly put them in the win column. I'm not wild about what they did, but I think Baez, if he if he heals up well enough and they have an infield of Baez and Lindor up the middle, that's, or even Baez at third, that's a really strong infield to take into the postseason if Baez manages to stop swinging at pitches two feet outside of the strike zone. Yeah, when you look at their lineup healthy with all of them back, you have Alonzo, Javi, Lindor and J.D. Davis or, or someone else at third base. That's that's a solid infield. Yeah, that's a solid infield. All right, so for the buyers, the losers for me were the Blue Jays, the Red Sox. Like I said, I have the Yankees on here twice. I wasn't impressed with the Padres, the Reds, the Phillies, or the Cardinals, really. Um, the Yankees, the reason I put the Yankees on here, I, I was torn. I like... I like the deal for Joey Gallo because Joey Gallo they have under team control next year. I don't know that the Yankees have that much of a shot at that second wild card to fight their way in, and they had to give up a lot to get Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs. They are only two and a half back right now. Uh, they're seven back in the division. Yeah, they're not going to catch the division. That's either the Reds or the Reds. But they are only two and a half back, so there is a shot there. Here's my problem with it, though. Who are they going to face in that wild card play and they're either going to face the Red Sox or the Rays neither team of which they've done particularly well against this year uh, especially the Red Sox um, so I think you potentially may have an AL West contender in there too yeah that's number two in the AL West might be there too as well but I, I don't think they're going to take the top wild card I think wild card one is going to go to the, the loser of the AL East that's, that's my thought anyway uh, Jason I'll let you talk about the Phillies uh, I really thought the Reds were going to do more. 
They really didn't do hardly anything. They picked up uh, Michael Givens from the Rockies. That was a good move, but, you know, Justin Wilson and Luis Sessa from the Yankees, that wasn't much. Uh, and then they gave up a pitcher to the Rockies for some more cash. So the Reds were really kind of quiet at the break. Um, and the other one I was really... Uh, the reason I have the Padres as a loser, guys, is because compared to what the Giants and the Dodgers added... Yeah, you got an all-star second baseman. That's great, which you had to give up a lot for. I, I don't think they added that much in comparison to what the Dodgers and the Giants did and the fact that they're already third in the division trying to claw their way back. That, that's why I have the Padres as a loser here. Yeah, that's fair. What do you think, Joe? Loser-wise, I, I, I agree with you. The Reds didn't do enough to, to move themselves up. I thought the Phillies might have done more, but I'm not too disappointed with what they did. Uh, they're kind of on the on the borderline for me. The Mets. For me, you, you need a strong arm, and now that we know what we know about Jacob DeGrom, you, you get Trevor Williams and Rich Hill. You had to get somebody stronger. I, I, you know, and it's funny because I follow this, this Mets group on Facebook, and you have all these people who are like, that we're still in first place, and I'm like, not for long, because the Phillies were hot. They're still, you know, yeah. they could get hot again. But it's to it, me, it's going to be the Braves or the Phillies as far as the division goes. I think the Mets will eventually end up in third place in that division. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's coming into games tonight. Phillies are three and a half back. Atlanta's four back. Yeah, that's not a safe lead by any small stretch. I mean. Washington's going to nosedive, but even they're six and a half back. And I think both of our teams, Andrew, made the improvements that they that they needed. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll, yeah. let you, I'll let you finish before I talk about the Phillies and a couple other things here. Yeah, that, I mean, that was the big thing. The Mets, I feel like they should have done a little bit more. I, I like what the Padres did. I think, for me, and it's just, maybe it isn't enough, but who knows what what the Dodgers will do here? But I, the yeah. Rays make a bunch of of puzzling moves, and you're not really sure what their calculations are there. So hopefully that works out for them. But yeah, to me, the Red Sox, I wasn't really keen on what they were doing there. I mean, the Rays have been averaging in their DH spot. They've been hitting low two hundreds with little power, and then they had Nelson Cruz. I think they're really happy with what they get. I mean, they had to give up more than they typically do in a trade. But that's a team that's already playoff ready. And if you can add a big bat in the middle of the order, I think the Rays made a huge move there. I think it was a good move by the Rays. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you my losers, but before I do for the buyer for the buying squad, but before I do, I'll talk about the Phillies. Um, I was pleased with their with their trades. Um, I I wouldn't have them in a winner column. I wouldn't have them in the loser column either. I think they they did what they needed to do, uh, without going overboard. So the the Phillies they they acquire Kyle Gibson, Ian Kennedy, and uh, Hans Kraus and cash from the Rangers for Spencer Howard, Kevin Gowdy, and Josh Gessner. Spencer Howard, as we talked about, you know he's been roughed up a good bit. And then you have the two prospects. They did get a minor league pitcher, Brayden Ogle, from the Pirates for a minor league catcher, Abraham Gutierrez. Doesn't do much of anything there. No. And then uh, one of the 
weirdest moves that I thought, but I understand it, was getting Freddie Galvis back from the Orioles for a uh, really low-A minor league pitcher, Tyler Birch. It's going to help them shore up some defense. And I think if Hoskins ends up ha- – I think they got they did that move wondering if Hoskins is going to end up having to go to the injured list for some time because most likely they would move Alec Bohm over to first and then you would have Freddie and Ronald Torres uh, and Didi Gregorius for the left side of the infield. So, because that that deal otherwise did not make a whole lot of sense to me with uh, Ronald Torres still being a, on the on the team. So I think that's where that's going to come into play. And what makes the the Rangers trade good to me is Hans Kraus. Uh Getting a good starting pitcher like uh, Gibson and getting an actual closer who's 16 for 17 to save opportunities in Indian Kennedy is great. Hans Kraus was the Rangers' number nine prospect. He is now the number four Phillies prospect. So the, a farm system that was that is weak for the Phillies just got even stronger there. And they made this deal without having to give up one of their top five prospects which I'm ecstatic about. You know, they kept Mick Gable, they kept Bryson Stott, they they kept Casey Martin, uh, who is a catcher, and he'll possibly eventually be JT Real Muto's replacement, you know, in the five years or something. But they got a really strong pitcher in Hans Kraus. So, so that deal to me, like, I personally felt as though that the Phillies completely fleeced the Rangers in that deal. So, because the Phillies also got cash. So they were able to stay under the luxury tax with that. So Phillies, to me, did what they needed to do. Not great, not bad. Just kind of did what they needed. Well, I think you hit on why they couldn't do more. Their farm system outside yeah. of the top guys is completely depleted. Yeah, and and I, I know that the asking price was high for Kimbrell. The asking price was high for some of your other starters. So I'm fine with them not giving up those prospects to get... A reasonable return. Yeah. And then my my losers for those who were buying, I have the Mets, the Reds, and the Red Sox in this. Uh, for the for the Red Sox, for me it was the, uh, the Schwarber and the Davis deals. Um, Schwarber from the Nats for Aldo Ramirez. Yes, Schwarber's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball well. He's also hurt right now. I don't know what kind of production they'll get from him when he comes back. And lefty and left-handed hitters at Fenway Park don't tend to do as well as right-handed hitters yeah. do. And, and then the other thing for me with the Red Sox, I'm really high on Michael Chavez. So the fact that they dealt him for Austin Davis uh, from the Pirates, I don't know th- that that deal is what the Red Sox needed to do. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. For the Reds, kind of what you guys were saying, they, their two biggest deals, like half of their deals were to acquire cash. Yeah. Like they were just mainly offloading some payroll here. And and they, they did get Michael Gibbons and Justin Wilson, but I, I don't see that really being a huge thing. I, Michael Gibbons will definitely help. Yeah. I, he'll help shore the back end of that bullpen up. But, you know, what the hell, Cincinnati? This yeah. is the best team you guys have had in a couple years, and you've got one of the best outfields. 
and yeah. that's what you're gonna do. And and and, uh, and for the for the Mets, you know, aside from from the pitching that they acquired, I, I'm I put them in the loser co- column simply because of the also because of the hobby hobby issue now with him being hurt. Yes, they could not have seen that coming, but doesn't make the trade hurt any less knowing that he's going who knows how long he's going to be down and they gave up one of their best prospects in Pete Crow Armstrong to get him so I I think if if Javi were to miss significant time this deal is a complete backfire for the Mets yeah well and one other thing too it's not like Javi hasn't been nicked up quite a bit this year Joe you've talked about it a couple times when he's had to take a few games off because you tweaked or pulled something. Yeah, the Mets, well, you know, look. At, let's use the same logic I used um, when I called the uh, when I called you guys out and called the Padres out. Compared to what everybody else in the division did, the Mets really didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, so, how about the seller winners, Joe? I'm gonna let you go first because if anybody doesn't put the Cubs in the winning category with that haul they got, they're crazy. Yeah, this was sort of a, a bittersweet week for Cub fans, but uh, can't argue with the results here. I think Jed Hoyer learned some things from working with. Jeez, uh, I can't remember his name anymore. Uh, from the Red Sox, the GM. Heim? No, Epstein, Theo. Uh, I think from working <laughs> with Theo, uh, I think Jed Hoyer learned some things because he was just. Mm-hmm not good before Theo came to town. So, you know, getting a good first baseman from the Braves for Jock, that was great. The prospects they got for Chafin, and that was Monday night last week as we were recording, Dykeman comes over, uh, the right fielder, and he's now the 20th prospect in the Cubs system. That's fantastic for us. The prospects we got in the Rizzo trade – Vizcaino is 8 in our system. Alcantara is 11 in our system. I don't like the fact that they gave up the $6 million with Rizzo to get him, but hopefully it pays off. Well, I think they weren't going to get such a good haul back if they didn't give up the cash. And you know what? What's a little bit of cash? Right. I, th- I think we have to look you know, more long-term, obviously. So we'll see what happens. You know, I think... Canario, the the one prospect, one of the prospects they got in the Bryant deal, Canario is now our, our number seven. So we got a, a decent for decent value for some of the guys that I didn't think we'd get a lot for. Uh, the Rizzo trade is the one that surprised me the most, but I, I, the the haul is great, so we'll see how it works out. Uh, again, Armstrong, like like Jason, like you mentioned, he's our number six now, so that's um, you know that's the the refill for for Javi um, and Trevor Williams. And I think if Davies has a better start the last few starts, I think it's Davies in that trade and not and not Trevor Williams. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Trevor Williams has been had been hurt for a while. He's only had a few starts uh, since he's been back. So I hope he works out for them. I think he's a good, strong thrower. Uh, kind of like Gesellman is for the Mets. He kind of – I kind of envision him kind of being a similar – type mm-hmm. of pitcher there so hopefully that works out for them but uh, getting again getting Armstrong in that deal is great and then the haul they got back from uh, the White Sox for Kimbrel uh, again Magical and, and then Cody Hewer 
So, you know, two major league level talents back for, for the best reliever in the market this year. Madrigal is a really big get for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. That's, he's going to be there for a long time and be really good, I think. Yeah, and it really gives you, again, some of the flexibility we've talked about with the Cubs this year where Wisdom can play left field, Wisdom can play right field, and then you have you know Madrigal at second, you've got Bodie at third. Like, there's so much flexibility with the talent that they have and then with the talent that they got. Uh, it, it's really hard to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the other seller? Did you have any other seller winners besides the Cubs? Uh, I just thought that I think I felt like the Pirates made some decent deals. I don't know how it'll pan out for them long term, but they did make some good acquisitions. Uh, I, I thought maybe the Diamondbacks could have gotten more. Oh, I'll for, get to the Diamondbacks in yeah. a few minutes. Um, I think that the Nationals got a decent haul for everything that they got rid of, you know, cash and some and some players. So I think, you know. They, they did what they needed to do as far as the trade deadline goes and, and acquired some talent that they can either use in the organization to get better or trade down the road. So, Yeah, for, for the Nats, getting, uh, getting Keyword Ruiz and Josiah Gray was kind of good, was really good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I, I do think that them getting rid of Brad Hand was kind of a, a good thing for them too. Yeah, hand, hands up to five blown saves in the season now. Yeah, I think the one that he blew against you guys, I think, was his second in a row too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I know he got a save towards the end of the series, but yeah, you know, not what not what the Nationals were probably hoping for as they were shopping their closer around. Yeah, Joe, did you have any other uh, seller winners? Those were the main ones for me. Cool. Um, so I, aside from the Cubs, which I, I agree completely, they, the prospect haul that they got for their big guys is what they needed to get. Um, I also had the Marlins on this list. I was really... What's good for them was getting Jesus Lazardo from the A's for Starling Marte. I was shocked that they were able to get that straight up. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge deal for the Marlins. Yeah, so I, I really like that deal. And the, their return for Adam Duvall was, was pretty good. The same with... Uh, Yumi Garcia and then they didn't do much like they hardly did anything and as being sellers it's not really what you want to look for but I still put the Orioles in the win column for this and what made me put them in the win column for this was they knew that they couldn't get rid of Trey Mancini John Means you know, some of even even like Michael Franco, who's been having a decent year. I, I think the Orioles realize that they have prospects coming up. They have the start of a core in in Baltimore to the point that they didn't need to sell their entire team like the Cubs needed to. So so I kind of put them in 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 the winner column for sellers for that reason, but I could also understand why why anybody would have them in in the losing column, uh, just because they were sellers and didn't sell. I actually didn't even have them in winner or loser. I was kind of at wait and see because they didn't really do much of anything. 
So my winners, obviously, the Cubs, the Nationals, Marlins. I was great haulbacks for those three teams. Um, I also had the Pirates down as well. I do think that the haulback that they got, especially in the Frazier deal, will come out well for them in the end. And, hey, you know, hopefully Bryce Wilson has a good change of scenery and does good things for the Pirates. I've just – my, my patience with him has worn so thin, and I'm happy to see him out of Atlanta. All right, who wants to start with the seller or losers? I can start with that one. Go ahead, Jason. The Rangers. <laughs> Wonder why he's going to say the Rangers. Uh, so, so I have the, the Rangers, the Royals, and the Twins down here. Um, Rangers I kind of already talked about, uh, but just a quick recap. They gave up their ninth-ranked prospect and an all-star pitcher and a closer for a 25-year-old who can't go past three innings as a starter and has and was grossly mismanaged by the Phillies. Like that's the fault of the Phillies. I, I started out high on Spencer Howard, but the Phillies just completely mismanaged him by bringing him up, setting him down, bringing him up, setting him down. I mean, maybe he'll be like Pavetta next year for the Rangers. Yeah, Phillies beat Pavetta. I'm fine with that. <laughs> for once, beating a former player that doesn't happen often. Oh, they did it this year a lot. They beat Arietta, then they beat Pavetta in the same okay. week. Okay, but Arietta doesn't count because Arietta is so Philly. far in the toilet this year. But he's a former Philly. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, so I, I think the Rangers got absolutely fleeced by the Phillies in that deal, uh, which is why I have them as a loser. I, I do have the Royals uh, down in this one, and the uh, main reason for that is they didn't really get much of anything. Like, they, they got Casey Kalick from the Brace for Jorge Soler, which is okay. But they gave up Danny Duffy and Cash for a player to be named later. Yeah, that was... That's terrible. I saw that and I had to look again because I was like, there's no way they just gave up Duffy for a player to be named later. And, and then that they threw Cash along with it. Yeah, I, so... I, I, to, to me, that just takes the Royals right down to the bottom. Now, um, that said, it could be a decent ranked prospect. So we may look back on it and say, okay, yeah. the Royals didn't do so bad. Yeah, but, um, but in, in the moment, but, that wow. you have to get something better back. Now, and, I have a question for you, because I don't know anything about this. When you designate in a trade a player to be named later, do you have to submit a list of players it could be to MLB, or do you know how that works? I'm not familiar with it. I believe that is how it works. There's like okay. a, You submit a list of... Okay, so it's like, we're not sure which of these three guys, based on how this guy does, will go either A, B, or C, that kind of thing? Right. I think that's how that works. Okay. So, yeah, we'll give the Royals an incomplete, but a current failure. (laughs) Yeah. And then I I have the Twins on this list, and that may be a little harsh, because they did get get Austin Martin, a a really strong prospect, uh, in, in a deal with the Blue Jays. For Jose Barrios, mm-hmm. but for me, what made the Twins losers as sellers is they should have unloaded Byron Buxton, and they failed to do so. They their asking price was way too high for somebody who's I, I believe currently on the injured list, but because I know the Phillies were really interested in Byron Buxton. But in order to get him, they would have had to give up Mick Abel. And it's like, they're not, the Phillies aren't going to give up their number one prospect for an outfielder who's 
on the injured list and isn't and has potential to not play well when he comes back. So to to me, the Twins not unloading Byron Buxton is a bit of a fail. I, I was shocked by that, especially because this is his last year on his contract. He's a free agent next year. Yeah, you're not going to get anything. Oh no, I'm sorry. He's uh, arbitration next year. He's free agent twenty three. My right. apologies. So yeah, that really makes no sense then because. I, I'm sorry, Twins fans, but I don't see you guys reloading and making a shot at that division next year. That that division is going to belong to the White Sox for the next couple seasons, I would think, at least. All right, uh, Joe, what about you for the uh, trade deadline losers? Yeah, I would say Arizona's on this list. They're one of my my three. I feel like they could have gotten more. I feel like they could have gotten rid of uh, Kelly, yeah, starter, and gotten some pieces for him, and they didn't. I think Arizona screwed the pooch. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Arizona, what were you doing? This is another team. Uh, they gave up Joachim Soria to the Blue Jays for two players to be named later. They got uh, Cooper Hummel, Alberto uh, Caprion from the Brewers for Eduardo Escobar. That's all they got for him. And then the low, the low ways first baseman from Atlanta for Stephen Vogt. The Diamondbacks should have been they should have been doing what the Cubs did: sell anything that's not attached but via plumbing for whatever the heck you can get in return. That would that was right. terrible. Right. Uh, I think Cleveland could have gotten more for what they got rid of, but. They just they made a couple of deals. They got a few pieces, but I feel like honestly, I don't see a lot of value added with Pablo Sandoval. Oh, they released him one day after the trade. Mm-hmm. Like like this is Sandoval's already gone. Why why make a trade and then release the guy? Well, like, not not only did just, they send the Braves Eddie Rosario, and I know he's hurt, but they also sent the Braves cash as well for a guy you're just going to release the next release. day. Yeah, like he didn't even suit what, up. What's the point of that? Yeah. Um, the other one for me is the Rockies. You are sitting on the best shortstop available, I think. And your asking price was too high. What is he still doing? And nobody wanted that. I I, I just don't understand how you sit on that and don't do something with it and make your team better. You know, Javi, for all of his faults, got a fantastic return in the trade. You know, for all of his shortcomings this year... Javi is not the best shortstop in the entire league. And he wasn't the best shortstop that got traded. Or he shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Rockies really missed an opportunity there. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I have the Rockies very prominently on my list of losers for that reason. The Rockies didn't do hardly anything. They got a pitcher from the Reds for cash. Who cares? They got Case Williams Noah Davis for Michael Givens. Neither of those moves are big moves. Yeah. Trevor Story's not coming back. He's made that very clear that he is going to test the free agent market this offseason. And there is no way that the Rockies are going to be able to outbid any of the big city, big market teams that are just going to throw wheelbarrow fulls of cash at him. They, they made the same mistake with Story that they made with Arenado. And, and Arenado signed with the Cardinals in the offseason. The moment Arenado left, they should have traded Story. Like, they should have traded him before the season started. They would have gotten a bigger haul anyway mm-hmm. than as a rental player. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't understand why. The Rockies had to know this was not going to be their season. With everything the Padres and the Dodgers did in the offseason, and that's before we even knew how good the Giants were going to be, because we were just looking at that team thinking, 
could be good, maybe will, maybe they won't, who knows. Uh, what were they doing? Anyway, uh, my other losers, uh, you guys mentioned the Twins and the Diamondbacks. Yeah, the Diamondbacks, that's, that's pathetic. That was one of the, I think has to be one of the single worst trade deadlines for all of the teams this year. Um, the Indians, simply because of the Pablo Sandoval deal, I'm going to put the Indians as losers. Um, and then also, I had the Angels and the Twins as well. I mean, the Angels, what, that's a team that doesn't know what it wants to do. They don't know if they're going to be buyers. They don't know if they're going to be sellers. They made a couple minor deals. That was really about it. And I, I get it. The AL West looks like it's going to be a race between the A's and the Astros. But they're not out of it. I don't think. I think they could still fight for that. And let me get the standings pulled up here. Sorry. I thought I had it up, but I didn't. They're right now, they're fourth. They're just under 500. They're 11 and a half out. Okay. I get that. But if you're going to say, all right, we're 11 and a half out, then sell. And sell like you're going to sell. And pick up some prospects, pick up some talent to surround Trout and Otani next season. And they still have Anthony Rodon out there as well. And he's going to be out there for a few seasons because he signed a long deal. Why in the world were they not unloading and picking up more talent? It, it makes no sense to me, honestly. All right, do you guys have anything else you want to bring up from the trade deadline? All right, dead, dead horse beating to death. All right, we'll move on. All right, so a quick update on Barnstorm's favorite, Blake Galen. Um, throughout the uh, Olympic Games, he is 4 for 13. He's got four hits, a double, two runs scored, and an RPI. A 308 through 8, 385 slash line, and four strikeouts. Um, Team Israel did go 0-2 in group play, and uh, as I was typing it up, they were playing South Korea in the knockout round. I didn't happen to see what the result of that was, but given that uh, South Korea has been playing international baseball for a long time and Team Israel is brand new this year, I'm assuming that probably didn't go well. They were in the Olympics four years ago. Oh, were they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, Blake, Blake was on Team Israel then as well. Okay, so they're, they're a relatively young comer to the Olympics then. Okay. Well, either way, but good for Blake, though. 308 average, nothing to be upset about. Yeah. Uh, we did actually have a question from uh, my wife, Karen, on our Facebook page. Hmm. She wants to know who we think has, like, the best home run celebration <laughs> as far as, you know, reaction goes and, and things like that. So I asked her to clarify, and I got the answer of yes. In other words, that's, that's helpful, everything. Yeah. That's helpful. So uh, I, I think the best question I think would be like, as far as like a general homer celebration, like what a player does as they maybe hit home home plate or as they go around the bases. I mean, I will gladly start, and you know where I'm going to go with this. It, it it's go rock ahead, paper homer boy. It's rock paper scissors by Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah, that is that, pretty sweet. I, I I mean, he's losing terribly this week or this year with it. He's like 13, 4, and, or 4, 13, and like 3 or something. Oof. Um, his, That's his, a far cry from 2020. His his walk-off home run, the the worst part about it was he lost the rock, paper, scissors. Uh, I, I believe it was uh, scissors to papers. Um, but, yeah. So I, I have to go with Kutch on that one. All right. What about you, Joe? That, that's just so much fun to, to hear about. Right? Every week we get together and all we hear about is rock, paper, scissors. And it's fun to, to see something creative like that happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm on my way home last week and I messaged you guys, 
rock, paper, scissors, walk off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it, we don't have to ask who hit the home run yeah, when you true. say that. If I tell you rock, paper, scissors, do you know who it is? Yeah, that's true. Very true. For, for me, it's not necessarily a, a current player. For me, it's a former player. Griffey Jr. Yeah. As soon as he hit it and he just stands that's there. That's right. It starts to walk. You're like, this is this is awesome. So for me, that's that's the best one. Honestly, yeah. the sweetest swing of all time. Oh my god, who didn't literally try and emulate Griffey's swing? My god, that that was smooth as silk. I tried Gary Sheffield once, and almost threw my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I to this day I don't know how Sheffield was able to do that without snapping like six or seven small bones. And I just did the motion and felt my shoulder crack. You're getting old, man. I sure am. <laughs> um, for me, for current players, it's Acuna. All the energy he puts into it. He all the me energy. A homer. No. Well, I was waiting for you to say it back. <laughs> um, all the energy he puts into a swing. He ignites that bench when he hits a home run. Um, the the little so, the little uh, cross step thing he does before he crosses third. I, I love watching Acuna. Uh, Joe, I'm with you. I love watching Griffey as well. Um, I, I, I have. There's one celebration that I thought of because I, I asked Karen about you know like walk off home runs or anything because I pictured you know like Bryce on his grand slam like bolting around the bases. Um, I think of Reese Hoskins. He always adjusts his helmet as he hits second base for some reason. But this one st- stands out to my Prince Fielder coming around the bases <coughs> when he's with the Brewers. Everybody's standing around him play. He jumps up and lands on home, and they all just fall over. Oh, yeah, the bowling pin celebration. That's right. <laughs> that was pretty good. And you being an excellent bowler would definitely have extra appreciation for that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, uh, there. you know, there have been some good ones. I Something I'd like to say with the uh, home run celebration is that MLB needs to look at what the Korean Baseball League is doing. They celebrate bat flips and the celebration of home runs over there. You know, back before we had MLB last season because of the pandemic lockdown, you know, I just want to watch some damn baseball. So I turned yeah. on the Korean Baseball League. Oh, my God. Some of the, those guys practice those bat flips like an art form. And it is so cool to watch. I go back and forth with that. It's probably just me being old and... By old, I mean 36. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like it and I don't at the same time. I like it when, he's, when it's a bat flip to celebrate yourself and it's not a bat flip to show up the pitcher a la Javi Baez and Amir Garrett. And I, I think I would much rather see a bat flip than have some... Also than have a player just stand there and just... Stare and it. watch the yeah. ball go. Yeah, uh, a la Acuna. Like I had no problem. That was a walk off, though. If it's but, a normal home but run, I, Acuna still, doesn't stare it, even if it's a monster shot. But but still, though, like like for me, like I don't mind a bafflet on a walk off. Like I I still just have a no matter what the type is, I still have a problem with just staying there and watching it. Like I do do the bafflet, do whatever you want to do. Like at least start walking towards first. Instead of standing in the box. <laughs> yeah, if, it, if you at least have forward momentum towards yeah, first base. Yeah, yeah. Like, so at least I, start I might, walking. Yeah. 
Because well, that, that Acuna walk-off that I'm thinking of, like, he's, he stayed in the box for a good, like, 10 to 15 seconds. Like, that was that was nuts. Um, I, 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 I get it. I get it. But I don't like it at the same time. <laughs> so what do you think of, like, Jose Batista in the playoffs? I liked the bat flip. The, where, where he just, like chucked it as as he started going. Like I, I appreciated the bat flip, but again, he stayed in the box a little too long for me, but now but, to be fair, he actually paid for it later too. Oh yeah. The next season. That 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 uh that right cross to his nose was beautiful. You don't you don't see enough That was a, connected, a door, right? Yeah, it was a door. You don't see enough connected swings in a baseball fight because it's usually just pushing and shoving and posturing. Unless either Amir Garrett, Odor, or uh, Yasiel Puig are involved. There's not usually too many in the way of actual swings thrown. Although, you know, you could bring Nolan Ryan up into that, too. <laughs> I did also appreciate Barry Bonds's home run swing. His war. Like, I, I, know, I know it's kind of a touchy subject with everything, but he still had a pretty sweet swing. The swing was sweet. I could have cared less about his celebration, but I also yeah. couldn't stand Bonds near the end when it was obvious to anybody that had coke frame glasses that the dude was had been so juiced up for the last decade, decade and a half, that there was no way in hell he was ever going to catch Hank Aaron if he hadn't juiced. We have... There's... Actually, I just thought of two. I'm actually surprised Joe didn't bring up one, but I... I Ken Griffey Jr., absolutely. Slamming Sammy. Yeah. Yeah, his, his hop his, step. His, yeah, hop, his hop step, and also his, like, fingers fingers to the heart and, and to the mouth. and Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then you also had Big Mac, uh, Mark McGuire, with the, uh, the, the gut punches. Yeah. Well, and that was just a great year in baseball. I mean, even, yeah. even though steroids eventually came back and said, well, actually, maybe that wasn't the best year yeah. in baseball, but baseball needed that at the yeah, time. S- like Sammy's else. little hop. That, that, that is a classic. And then the little, didn't he do the little hop when his bat shattered and cork sprayed all over the infield, too, because he thought it was, he gone, thought it was gone? He thought it was and gone. Didn't and didn't realize that the bat, it, it sounded so loud because the bat shattered? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks but, for the question, Karen. <laughs> So, for me last week, guys, it was a great week in minor league baseball. I actually had the opportunity to go to two different minor league games in two different states. So, I got I was down in Tennessee visiting my friend John. Um, I got to see a Nashville Sounds game. That was a fantastic experience. Their stadium is absolutely gorgeous. Big cushioned seats. The food was delicious. The beer selection was great. Um, in right center field, they have this massive, gigantic, guitar-shaped scoreboard. And like even the uh, even the pegs that you would use to turn the thing, even those were their own little scoreboard as well. They had the whole nine inning tracker going up the neck. I, it was just so cool. Uh, the Sound ended up winning that game over the Columbus Clippers four to three. Now the Sounds they're the affiliate of the AAA affiliate of the Brewers. The Clippers are affiliated with Cleveland. So I got to see a ton of guys who have MLB experience and some that are probably going to come up soon. So. Um, Brewers third baseman Travis Shaw was down there in a rehab assignment. He went one for two with an RBI. Um, Tim Lopes was briefly called up to Milwaukee earlier this season. Uh, he previously played for the Mariners in MLB as well. On the Clippers side, you had Andres Jimenez, who played the Mets and the Indians. Uh, Jordan Luplo played with the Pirates and the Indians. And he actually just got traded to the Rays. Uh, Wilson Ramos, uh, he, we all know Wilson Ramos very well. 
He played primarily with the Nationals, but uh, Jason, he played with the Phillies, I believe, as well, along mm-hmm. with the Rays, Mets, and Tigers. Um, both teams between them had four home runs, one of which was also inside the park. I got to watch your reliever have an utter meltdown and walk three runners in. You know, it was everything you wanted to see in a game. By the end of the sixth inning, the younger kids that were in front of us had left, so me and my buddy John could heckle the umpire and everybody else, you know, till our hearts were content and we didn't get thrown out. The people around us were laughing along right as well. So that was a lot of fun. And then Friday night, um, I got to go to the Barnstormers game. They were playing the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. That game did not go nearly as well for the local team as uh, Lancaster got the ever-loving snot kicked out of them. Uh, we actually we had to leave after the, after the end of the seventh inning, so I don't remember what the final was, but it was a lot to a little at that point. At I believe point, that was the 17-7 game. Probably. You're either 17-7 or 16-0. No, 17-7. Uh, because at one point it was eleven nothing in the game. The starter lasted a third of an inning, and with the yeah, stupid nine nine runs in the first inning on two thirds yes. of an inning. Yep, and the stupid DH rule meant that Caleb Gindel only had one at bat. I really don't like that. You lose the DH after the starter goes. That might work well in the major league level where starters tend to actually make it longer. That's a terrible rule in the minors. Even better in the sixteen to nothing game later that weekend. They actually removed the pitcher before he got the chance to actually. Before oh, he was removed there too, but they let him bat in the first. In the first, they didn't make the pitcher spot come in. I think there's a rule that they are allowed one at bat if the pitcher's um, yanked early. Well, they, they ended up not letting the DH ended up not even getting a hit in the sixteen to nothing game. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really hope we don't see that rule in MLB. Although if we do, like I said, it would work better in the major leagues than it does in the minors where. You know, your quality of pitcher is uh, very questionable at most time. Uh, one of the coolest things, though, that night, guys, I actually got to see our buddy Jim from the Huddle Up podcast. Uh, he was at, at the game Friday night. It was good to see him out and about again, of course, with a beer and a hot dog. Uh, that that was really nice to see him. Actually, Jason, my, little, my son Jason was with me because we were going to get more food because the first inning just wouldn't end, and I needed to take a break from watching that slaughter fest of walks and hard-hit balls. So, you know, you have to do that sometimes. And uh, coming up, uh, two, I think it's two Saturdays from now, uh, me and the boys and my father-in-law, Carl, were going up to see the Senators as well. So it's it's been a good summer for minor league baseball for me, and I, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself as I go. All right, the hot hitters for the week for me. Number one, this is an easy one, Joey Votto. Slash line 375, 448, 12, uh, 1.25. Nine hits, seven home runs, eight runs scored, 11 RBIs, four walks, six strikeouts. I'm surprised there's not like 13 intentional walks in that list as well. Uh, number two, I had Austin Riley of Atlanta, 379, 455, 897 a week. 11 hits, five homers, seven runs scored, 13 RBIs, four walks, eight strikeouts. I also had uh, Rafael Ortega from the Cubs. He had a 458-500-1.042 line, 11 hits, 2 doubles, 5 homers, 8 runs scored, 8 RBIs, a stolen base, 2 wa- two walks, 5 strikeouts. Then my last hitter was Dansby Swanson, who's been so up and down, it was nice to see him put it together this week. Uh, 333, 375, 700, 10 hits, 2 doubles, 3 homers, 6 runs, 10 RBIs, a steal, 2 walks, 6 strikeouts. Anybody else, guys? I actually have two uh, to add to this list here. Um, I mentioned earlier Bryce Harper. Uh, while he didn't have the home runs or the RBIs this week, uh, he had one home run, three RBI. His slash line was ridiculous. 529, 704, 1.0. Um, 
<coughs> and it got him back to over 300 on the season. And good old Miggy, Miguel Cabrera, uh, 474, 520, 1.053 slash line, three home runs, seven RBIs, getting close to number 500. I hope he gets it. Um, so I, I think he, he's 598, 599 right now. Or, excuse me, 498, 499, something like that. So, uh, he's getting close. And they also have, is it the 3,000 hit watch going for him? Yeah, he's close on that, too. So, Miggy's career is at 497 home runs, and he's at 2,942 hits. I think we're going to see 500 sometime uh, before the end of the season. I I don't think we're going to get to 3,000 hits this year. That's a lot of hits and not a lot of time. Yeah, so uh, I would add those two to, to the list here. How about you, Joe? Anybody else uh, to add? The only other hitter I would add, I had Harper on my list, but uh, Rizzo for the Cubs and the Yankees. Slash line, 412, 545, 941. Seven hits, six runs, three home runs, two with the Yankees, five <laughs> RBIs, and four walks. I think the other thing that stuck out to me for Harper is the seven walks. So he's having a good go of it, but he's also yeah. patient and waiting for his pitches to hit. And you know, that's one thing with Harper, even back to his days with the Nationals, when he was a pretty free-swinging rookie, and even in his second year, he was still pretty disciplined at the plate. He didn't always get the hits, and his average, he's never been a huge average guy, but he's his patience is definitely getting better yeah. as he's getting older. Yeah, and, and you, you want your power hitters to also be getting on base and things like that, and he's starting to do that. He especially being in the number three spot, you know, getting on base for the guys coming up behind him, you know, McCutcheon, uh, Real Muto, Hoskins. Uh, he's he's really doing his job. I, I know people were saying, ah, oh, Harper's overrated. This season, he's actually not. He's he's really having a good season, especially considering all the injuries he had. I mean, he missed a, a couple weeks because of a broken face. Yeah, so. yeah that's not his fault. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I will admit I didn't like the contract. I still don't like the contract. This year, though, you can't say he's overrated. No. No, I, I would definitely agree with you on that one. Um, Harper is now up to 248, so he should hit 250 this year as well, home runs in his career. So that should be, hopefully, the way he's been hitting, it's probably going to be within the next week within or two. Within the next week or two, yeah. Especially if they can spend any amount of time at home in that uh, blasting launch pad. <laughs> I'd be all right with it. All right, my hot pitchers. First one I have is Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals, 2-0. He pitched 14 two-thirds, gave up 10 hit, 5 earned runs, 3 walks, 12, 13 Ks, 2 home runs, wild, a 321 ERA, and a .93 whip. I had Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, 1-0, 13 and third innings, 8 hits, 3 earned runs, 2 walks, 15 Ks, 2 home runs allowed, a 208 ERA, and a .77 whip. I had Brett Anderson of the Brewers, as much as it pained me to write that. 2-0, 13 innings pitched, 6 hits, unearned run, 2 walks, 6 strikeouts, a .770 RA and a .69 whip. And then also Julio Urias of the Dodgers, 1-0, uh, 11 and 2 thirds, 10 hits, an earned run, no walks, 12 strikeouts, a .84 ERA, .94 whip. Wow. And then he only got one win out of those two starts. That's, oh man. Uh, what about you guys for pitchers? I had two. I had uh, Mania from Oakland, one and zero, six innings, one hit, one walk, nine strikeouts. His WHIP point three three, and his batting average against zero five three. Wow, that's a good game. Good <laughs> week. Uh, Musgrove for San Diego, 
one and zero, seven innings, three hits, one walk, eleven strikeouts. Again, the whip point five seven and that batting average against of one twenty five. Yeah, I almost put Musgrove on there too. Yeah, I, I agree with with that list there completely. All right, the hot teams for the past week. Hey, we finally have some NL teams on there. Good job, National League, for not totally sucking this week. I had the Rays, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Brewers, the Reds, the Cardinals, and the Giants. Anybody else for you guys for hot teams? Hard to argue with that list. Yeah. yeah. Even if the Reds might have fallen on their face at the trade deadline. But we already right. talked about that. Right. I, I mean, every single week the Rays are on this list. Every yeah. week of the last month or so the Brewers are on this list. Teams are, these teams are starting to thin out. We're starting to get a good idea of where this is going. Yeah, and the Giants have been on there pretty consistently too. So, All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. So looking ahead at the week coming up, Atlanta starts three on the road at the Cardinals. Um, they've got Freed versus Lester, Smiley versus Happ, and Tucson versus LeBlanc. Then they come home and have three with the Nationals, uh, Mueller versus Fetty, Morton versus Gray, Freed versus Corbin. Um, Chicago, they go in the road three at the Rockies, Davies versus Freeland, Mills versus Gray, Arietta versus Marquez, and three at home versus the White Sox, Hendricks versus Rodon, Alzale versus Lynn, Davies versus Cease. The Phillies. They go four in the road to the Nationals. Suarez versus Gray. Wheeler versus Corbin. Uh, Jason, who's the starter now that Vince is out? Most likely it's going to be Chase Anderson. Okay, so Anderson versus Espino and Nola versus Ross. And then three at home versus the Mets. Gibson versus Stroman. Suarez versus McGill. Wheeler versus Walker. That's going to be a really, really good matchup. So, uh, you know, looking ahead, guys... Uh, Atlanta, they need to do what they they need to beat up these lower teams. They need to take at least two or three from the Nationals, and I think they should. It's a road series, I know, and the Cardinals tend to play well at home. They, I think, they can take two out of three in St. Louis. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we were we keep talking, you know, sometimes not recording here, but I I think at some point here the Braves and the Phillies are going to be the top two teams in the East. Mets will eventually fall down to third, I think. So for Atlanta, it's going to be seeing what they can get against the Cardinals. I think that's going to be a tough series for them. And then they have to take two against the Nationals. Uh, really, they need to sweep, but they need at least two. Um, with with Chicago, I think they're going to take two out of three because Colorado's so bad. Um, the White Sox, uh, Joe, I'm going to be honest, man. The only reason I'm going to pick one win for them this week is because of Hendricks. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's that's a really tough series, and looking at the pitching matchups, that, that could easily be a sweep for this, this little White Sox. But, um, again, Hendricks at least gives you a shot. With that Rocky series, who knows what Jerry Eddie you're going to get, and who knows yeah. what Zach Davies you're going to get. Davies can give up home runs. So, um, you know, whether they give up some home runs in that mountain air, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. And then, Jason, this is a huge week for the Phillies. This is the week they need to start making moves up the division. Yeah. Four the Nationals, I honestly probably a split, maybe three of four, maybe winning three of four, but if they lose this series, that's going to be detrimental in a huge way. And then they need to come home and they need to take care of business against the Mets. Yeah, and that Met, the Mets series, I think, is even bigger than the National series just because you, you can't lose to the team that you're behind. Um, Nationals... Uh, we're talking about this right now. Phillies have already won game one, so 
that's one. Good, that's a good start to the week for this team. And despite so, Ian Kennedy joining the Phillies bullpen in an appropriate way and giving up home runs in the ninth. Yeah, he's he still he still closed it out. Yeah, but you know for for the Phillies, they being in D.C., I'll, I would be happy with a split. I would prefer three, if not a sweep. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't take a sweep? Right. But I, I think two or three is absolutely the goal. And versus the Mets, like two is good. They yeah. have to they have to try and get you two have out to of get there. two. You have to get two. If you if you yeah. lose the series to the Mets at home, that's going to be hard to bounce back from because they're such a good home team and such a bad road team. Yeah. Uh, the, and the pitching matchups here, it, it's hard to pick one way or the other what's going to happen here. Right, because Suarez is probably only going to get three four innings because they're still stretching him out. Mm-hmm. Gibson. If Gibson does what he did before, I, th- I think they can take that one. Right, but he's playing Stroman, who's been by far one of the streakiest Mets starters. He's either yeah. really good or he's really bad. They haven't had a yeah. whole lot of middle ground pitching with him. And, and then Wheeler versus Walker, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a one nothing to one game, or nine to eight. Yeah, it's that's going to be. That's either, how it usually works. Yeah, that's either going to be we see first half Taywan Walker and. Wheeler, and it's going to be nobody can get a damn hit and everybody strikes out a ton. Or it's going to be second half Walker and then the Mets hitters remembering, oh wait, we've hit Wheeler before and we're going to hit him again. And it's going to be a big run scoring game. I I, I really, I have a hard time predicting which way that's going to go. Yeah. All right, so other series that I'm looking forward to this week. In the first half of the week, I'm looking forward to Padres the A's and Astros of the Dodgers. Uh, You've got You've got teams that made big moves, especially that Astros Dodgers series. Uh, I'm, you know, and that I don't know if I'd say Astros Dodgers is a likely World Series matchup, but it's a decent probability World Series matchup. So that could be a preview for what we see in September. Um, second half of the week, I'm looking at Giants and Brewers because you know NL West leader, NL Central leader heading into a big showdown. That's going to be an exciting game, if nothing else. The only other series I was looking forward to on the weekend is the Mariners-Yankees. It's kind of a gut-punch series to figure out which team is going to you know, take control of the ascent of the wild card there. Yeah, and kind of along the, those same lines, I actually have uh, Mariners raised to start this week mm-hmm. just because the Mariners are trying to continue their climb. And then the second half of this week, it it's hard for me to really go... I mean, you have a, a battle of Los Angeles between the Angels and the Dodgers, but it's really hard for me to go against the Mets Philly series. That's just huge. I I just picked that as a given. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never put our series on there for what I'm looking forward to because I'm already keeping an eye on them even peripherally yeah. because of the group chat. I mean, I'm just trying to think, you know, objectively. Yeah, that's that, huge. that game is that series is going to be massive. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's going to be potential like. After this weekend, that you could, be could see changing. a huge change, yeah, for the NL East. You know, if Atlanta does well against the Nationals, the Phillies do well against the Mets, that might start the uh, crashing of the Mets down. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the Mets will finally remember they're the Mets, which, you know, that can also go both ways, <laughs> depending on where we are in the season. All right, so looking at Pickham, last week went uh, very well for me, I'm happy to say. So Atlanta in that long week they ended up going four and four, three and two, one and two. Um, Jason, you and I both said five and three, three and two, two and one. So we picked up a half point each. Joe nailed the weekly record at four and four, but he flip flopped uh, which series they would do well in, and I think some of that was just like 
I hate the Brewers. Please beat the Brewers twice. Joe, I really wish we would have been right about that. <laughs> uh, the Cubbies, uh, let's see, Jason got a half a point because he predicted the one and two at the Nationals. Otherwise, like I said when we were at break, guys, the, the Cubs series was almost impossible to predict because we knew they were going to be selling. We didn't know what kind of team they would have by the time the weekend rolled around. The same with the Nationals. And we actually, I think, we were discussing that when we were picking last week, mm-hmm. too. So, uh, Jason, good job with the half point there. Uh, the Phillies, it. yeah, you'll take it because uh, in the Phillies uh, last week they went three and four, two and two, one and two. I, I nailed that for a perfect week, so I picked up some desperately needed points there. Uh, Jason, you got deadly squat because you thought they were going to have a huge week going five and two, three and one, two and one. Uh, Joe, you had the um, you had the first series correct at two and two. You were optimistic about the Pirates and uh, didn't realize that the Pirates were like, no, we're going to beat you up in Pittsburgh. I know. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody should be losing to the Pirates in Pittsburgh, but that's what happened. And then our random team last week, we picked the A's, guys. And the A's had a 4-2 and two week going 1-1, one 3-1. and one, three and one. I just narrowly missed the perfect week there because, stupidly, I thought the A's were going to sweep the miniseries. And they mm-hmm. didn't. They went 1-1. One and one. Uh, Jason, you picked up nothing there. You were way off base there. You thought they were going to go 2-4, and 0-2, oh and 2-2. Two, two and, two. and uh, Joe, you also picked up a half a point for guessing the miniseries correctly, so good job there. All right, guys, our um, mystery team for this week is going to be Baltimore. So next week when we go through Pick'em, you'll uh, hear what we picked for all of that. Where are the uh, current overall standings, Andrew? The current overall standings, Jason, where you're still clinging to the lead at 27.5, but you're down to a three-point lead. I made a big jump this week up to 24.5. And, and, Joe, you're right behind at 22. And as we've seen, if you throw one or two perfect weeks in there, it really sends the standings on their heads. So, you know, it, this is definitely not over by any small stretch of the imagination. And we still have a month of baseball, uh, two months, basically two months of baseball to go because if I remember right, we poke into the first week of October this year. I believe so. So, all right, guys. So that's it for us tonight. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spreaker, and I think Apple Podcasts too. I have to check and see if that's finally up there yet. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC. May your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everyone.